Welcome to the What the Fuck Is That podcast, where we ask the age-old question of What the Fuck Is That? I'm your host, Jess. I'm Jen. What's up? I don't know. What's up? I don't don't know. (laughs) Not much is up with me. How about you? Nothing much. We were supposed to record this a while ago. Two weeks ago. And then life happened. Life does happen, yeah. And then I was editing part one, and my dumbass was like, Ooh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I get to hear this before everyone else. But no, two weeks. So they're actually going to get to hear it in less time than I had to wait. Yeah, and you were the one who was so adamant about wanting to record immediately after we record the first one. I know. I wanted to do it so bad. <laughs> and and then night, my brain was like, mm, nah. Yeah, that night, I mean, to be fair, we did go pretty late. And then yeah. um, life happened for you the following week. And then life happened for me the week after. Yeah, and then it's just like, okay, well, now we got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> But I did get all the social media set up. So that means our Patreon, Facebook, and Instagram are all up and running. Those will all be linked in the bio down below. So Patreon, for those people who don't really know how Patreon worked, because I didn't know how Patreon worked. I didn't know how Patreon worked. To be honest, I still don't really know, considering you're taking care of that. Yeah, I did, like, a crash course on it, and just, like, okay, let's figure out how to do this. So, essentially, you can go over to Patreon.com. Our link, again, will be down below in the bio. And you can pledge to do three... 8 or $15 levels. Um, each level will include different things that's all in there. Everything from early release of episodes to exclusive merch to live with Jen and I on a topic that you guys choose. Um, so all that information is going to be over on the Patreon. I like how that took a little while for you to get into the tune. I know. <laughs> I wanted it to be a slow. I wanted a everyone slow, to really oh, want yeah. it. I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, it was on purpose, actually. <laughs> okay, so. great. I'm Thank glad. You. Yeah, I wanted to point out the best part of okay, good. that. Yeah, no, I was, I'm trying to hype you up. Good. Not like, That's the part that I want people to make an audio clip. It's just that one it's little... Just, just one little... <laughs> <laughs> I want that to be the TikTok where people are like, Yes. <laughs> You would want that. Yeah. You would want that. All right. Well, after all this waiting, let's record this episode and find out part two, since you left us on a cliffhanger. (laughs) Hey, Jess. Hey, Jen. You want to hear the rest of the Derek Robbie murder? What the fuck is the rest of the Derek Robbie murder? Let's get into it, shall we? All right. Okay. So we left off on little Derek Robbie running late to the stay camp, right? Yes. Okay. So this is at about 9.10 in the morning. Okay. Okay. Eric Smith was on time at 9 a.m. He was riding his BMX bike. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's but, so specific. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, in, in the book it specifically says BMX bike. But I guess because he was doing tricks and stuff like that. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I so was going to say. I that's... was getting there. Oh, okay. I'm like, <laughs> that's a up. weird specific detail. <laughs> you jumped the gun. 
Um, so between 9 and 9.15, he was scolded for riding his bike across a cement pavilion uh, that was deemed off-limits for children. Okay. So a counselor says no one asked Eric to leave, that he chose to leave on his own. Okay. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Or if that's just them covering their asses. Yeah. But. Either way, um, Eric leaves. Okay. Uh, Three houses down from the park, he sees Derek Robbie clutching his little canvas bag lunch. Oh. Remember, Derek Robbie is four years old. It's fucking wild. Yeah. Uh... Eric initially decides to pass him, but he circles back around um, and kind of waits for others to kind of pass by uh-huh. who were running late. Um, and so he, he waits till it's kind of clear yeah. where, like, no one's going to see him. And he calls out, hey, kid, and it causes Derek to turn around. Eric later recalls the moment he saw Derek's face, he knew he wanted to take him. And hurt him. That's wild. Because this is, like, a young kid. This is. Like. He's 12, 13 years old, I believe, at the time. This isn't, like, an older man who has gone through a whole hardship of life. Yeah. Like, this is a child. Yes. Eric persuades Derek, saying that he has a shortcut to the park. He tells him, like, where they're going, right? So he leads them. uh, He leads four-year-old Derek into the pine woods next to the property that's three houses away from the park. So, mind you, he is not very far from the park. Yeah. Like, he is not far from where he is supposed to be. And I'm sure there were some adults or something that was around. Yeah, there should be no reason that he just got swooped up. Exactly. So, there is a trigger warning, guys. Um, Some of these things, some of the things that happened in this murder are very explicit. Starting now. Yeah, starting now. Buckle in. We're going to get into some gruesome details here. So, Eric allowed Derek to walk a few paces ahead of him. Mind you, this is a baby. He's trusting this other older boy. After a few minutes... Well, and if they were at the camp together, like, he recognizes him. So it's not just some random kid. Exactly. And at the same time, like, small town, everyone knows everybody. Yeah. All the kids know each other, even if they're different grades, different ages. Um, They may not have run in the same circles, but they know of each other. Yeah, they've seen each other. Mm -hmm. So after a few minutes, Eric grabs Derek by the neck and chokes him with his right arm. Derek dropped his lunch, trying to fight back picking his little legs and swinging at the teenager trying to get away. Eric released Derek long enough to readjust his grip and choke the boy with his bare hands. Oh my gosh. And that's not like a slow thing. I know the movies make it look like it's just like two seconds and it's done, but it can take a while. It can take, I believe, up to two minutes. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And that's if you're doing it like correctly. Yeah. Like who knows how well this child... And yeah, and not only that, but like, not only that, but that's also based off of an adult choking another adult. Yeah. So this is a child on another child. Who may or may not know what they're doing. Exactly. You know, their hands are probably barely big enough to do so. 
Eric later says when he heard Derek gasping for air, he would squeeze tighter and tighter. After 30 seconds, Derek is unresponsive and Eric figures he's dead. However, Derek begins to gasp for air and Eric empties out Derek's lunch bag, finding and taking a paper napkin, jamming it into his mouth. Oh! Yeah. As Derek regains consciousness, he bites down on Eric's finger, causing Eric to cry out. Oh, shit. So, you yeah. You go, kid. He's he was fighting. fighting. Yes, he was fighting. Eric grabbed a small rock nearby, kneeling over Derek, striking him on the right side of his head three oh. times. He throws the smaller rock and grabs a bigger rock, which was later weighed at 26 pounds. <gasps> How strong is this child? Apparently pretty strong. Shit! And mind you, his adrenaline's also rushing. Yeah. Eric drops this giant rock on Derek's chest and midsection twice. Eric then takes a break, and he drinks the red Kool-Aid that Derek's mother had put in his drink bottle that morning. Okay, palate cleanser, when they say drink the Kool-Aid, it's wrong. They didn't drink Kool-Aid. They drink Flavor-Aid. But everyone knows what Kool-Aid is better. That was the palate cleanser. What? (laughs) (laughs) There's the... That was thrown out of left field for me. <laughs> I needed a break from the child murder. <laughs> and so I'm like, Y'all, she just <laughs> she just threw that at me. I was not prepared. She did not tell me she was gonna do that. The ADHD came out and Jenny went, What? <laughs> okay, anyways, let's get back to this child murder. Oh my god. Okay. So this is it's gonna get worse from here. I'm not going to awesome. lie. Thank you. As if that wasn't bad enough. I'm telling you, um, trigger warning right here again, sexual assault. Uh, okay. Okay. I, yeah, I, I forgot. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I wish I could also leave, but here we are. <laughs> you know, you get to go through the whole roller coaster with. Okay, so we left off with Eric taking... Derek's Kool-Aid. Yes. When he was done with it, he ended up pouring the rest out on Derek's face and open wounds. Ugh. Yeah. Eric then removes Derek's pants, turns him over, finds a small stick. Mm-hmm. Again, trigger warning here. He then shoves the stick into Derek's rectum. Uh, like, when again, children. Yeah. Just a child doing this to another child. So when he's done... Eric turns Derek over again, drags him a few yards to be under a canopy of trees. He wipes the blood from his hands and leaves on his bike. As if it was just a normal... Five minutes later, however, Eric returns to check on the body. He will later state that he wanted to double, triple check Derek was dead. Because if Derek was alive, Eric was worried he'd say something. Oh my gosh, as if no one's going to find out if he's dead. He said, but he knew Derek was dead. Um, Well, yeah, he just wants to, like, get that thrill again. Yeah. So, in totality, from the time Eric stopped his bike to talk to Derek to the time of the murder, it was no more than ten minutes. 
However, it's noted Eric spent nearly an hour with the body. That doesn't surprise me. So, not long after, uh, pending rainstorms roll through, ending camp early, Doreen rushes to pick Derek up from camp, only to find he never arrived. Which, like, the anxiety initially, immediately. Yeah. Doreen contacts Dale, so Derek's father, um, at work, and the police are involved by 11 a.m. Doreen later states, shortly after Derek left, she felt immediate panic and realizes later that correlated to the time Derek was murdered. Oh my gosh. So this it's woman... that full instinct thing. Yeah. This woman had full-blown mother's instinct, just immediately knew her child was gone, without even knowing. Ugh. Like, can you imagine feeling that kind of pain? That's so stressful. So, within the hour of realizing Derek was missing... People within the community were searching for him, including Ted and Eric Smith. So, his murderer and the father of his murderer. Oh my gosh. Were involved in the search party for the little boy. Which I feel like it won't be that big of a search because they're not that far away. I mean, where they went, I guess they walked a few yards into the forest. Oh, okay. So this is like, they're having to search through trees and bushes and oh, stuff I like see. that. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, so, yes, he was taken from where, like, they were very close in proximity of others and, uh -huh. like, other buildings and surroundings, but Eric had led him into I see. some trees and stuff. And so, like, at, if you're in the search party, do you steer people away as much as possible, or can this child even think that far ahead? Well, that's what I'm like, what are you doing? Are you... <laughs> Is there a plan here, or you're just, like, hoping for the best, and they see you in the search party and go, oh, no, obviously he didn't do it? Yeah, like, I think he's thinking more of, yeah, he's in the search party, and they're not gonna think it's me. At the same time, he's right, because who's gonna think it was a child? Yeah. I guess either way, he is manipulating it. At 3.45 p.m., a local couple found the body of little Derek Robbie. Experienced troopers expressed how hard the scene was to take in, and they also say that Derek was posed. He was found covered in clover and dandelions under a canopy of ash and hawthorn trees, with his left and right shoe removed. They were found placed next to the opposite hands. Why? I don't know. No one knows why. Derek's lunch bag was found nearby, However, the cookies and the sandwich that were originally packed were missing. He stole his lunch. He murdered him and stole his lunch. Yeah. Well, it's just like those serial killers who can go murder a whole family and then, like, eat something out of their fridge. Oh, yeah. Like, what? Psychopaths. Um, okay, so Derek was found with severe head trauma. He had multiple fractures, cerebral swelling, which is brain swelling, mm -hmm. contusions, Extensive trauma and bleeding to his chest, an intestinal wall perforation, petechia on his face, eyes, and neck, which is just when the blood vessels burst, okay. the red. Oh, yeah, yeah. So all that blood, like the like bloodshot eyes, that's petechia. It's all indicating strangulation. Autopsy report came back stating Derek died from blunt force trauma to the head with contributing asphyxia. So he died from severe trauma to the chest, the 
Yeah, the bludgeoning with the rock. And- yeah. So, obviously, Dalen, Doreen, Robbie, his parents, were devastated by the news. Residents gathered around the scene of the crime, and reporters tried to interview some of the residents. Obviously, most declined to make statements, but Eric was said to attempt to volunteer and be interviewed. Of course. But Ted said no, because Eric didn't know anything about the murder. I mean, yeah. Like, you don't assume it's your kid. You're just like, okay, stop being a fucking weirdo. Yeah, like, you don't need attention that bad, you know? Apparently he did. Yeah, he he knew everything. So state police brought in a criminal profiler. The profile was quickly released, stating the killer is likely an older pedophile, possibly a sex crime parolee, which is completely off. Which, this is an exact science. Correct. Create, creating a profile yeah. never is, which is why people thought it was such a bogus science for yeah. such a long time. But then you get things like this, where any other time, that profile would, would be correct. Yeah, would be absolutely but correct. But this weird offset thing Anomaly. that happened, yeah. and it's like, oh no, this is going to be completely off of... What this profile would regularly be about. It's like that rare little percentage. Yeah, where it's just like, oh, that doesn't track. What? Yeah. Yeah. Police interviewed over 500 people in the days following the murder. Eric Smith is interviewed as one of the first children police talked to after his own mother put him in the vicinity of on the day of the murder. Oh, jeez. Well, I'm sure she just thought nothing of it. The mom's going to say something to the police because her kid was at the day camp and no one's going to assume that their kid is the killer. Well, here's the thing. When Tammy Smith talked to Eric about his whereabouts that day, she was worried he had seen something or was being threatened not to say what he had seen that morning. Oh. So she had a suspicion he was involved Yeah, that something was going on. Yeah. And obviously, she was right. That mother instinct. Yeah. You know, she kind of knew. So, Eric is interviewed three separate times. On the third interview, with his parents present, they discuss some of the discrepancies in Eric's statement compared to other eyewitness statements. On August 5th, Eric finally reveals for the first time he saw Derek the morning of the murder. Oh, okay. So, this is, I believe, three days after... Yes, this is three days after. He's finally confessing that he saw something. He's not saying what happened, but he's saying he saw something. Something happened. His recount now puts Derek about 50 to 75 yards away from him. Yet, he was able to tell investigators what Derek was wearing and describe the lunch bag as well in amazing detail. Even though he just stated he didn't have his glasses on that morning because they were broken. Which, like, just to put it in perspective for how far that is, you said 50, 75? Yeah. So that's, like, half to three-fourths of a football field. Yeah. So for him to be like, hey, here's exactly what was going on, it's like, mmm. Mm. a little suspicious. Yeah, like, that doesn't make sense. Especially if you have to wear glasses. There's sometimes that I can't even read the board that's not oh. even 10 feet from me without my glasses. I am 100% blind when I don't have my contacts in or my glasses on. Yeah, so if he was able to give that much detail that far away without glasses, I don't think so, homie. Yeah. Towards the end of the interview, police asked Eric if he knew anything else. Eric denied anything further, but states, 
I'm not the type of person who would kill, hurt, or sexually molest anyone. This was red flag number two, because at this point in the investigation, police hadn't released that fact to the public yet. Oh, that he was molested? Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Like, Even caught ya. Flags. Yeah, basically, the interview ended with Carl Peters coming in, who is Eric's great-grandfather, a retired sheriff deputy. So he came in and asked investigators to leave. Yes. So if he hadn't come in and disrupted it, I totally believe that Eric probably would have confessed that night. Oh, yeah. It sounded like he was already primed up and ready to just let it go. Unfortunately... His grandfather knows, you know, the justice system. Mm -hmm. He knows who to talk to. He knows how to kind of get in and out of situations. He definitely pulled his great-grandson out of that situation. I understand that you used to work for the sheriff, but, like, dude, come on. Yeah. You're not protecting anyone. So an hour later, investigators returned, and this is around 7 p.m. This time, they came with the district attorney. Oh, good. So officers had Eric recreate the path he took and different speeds on his bike. However, Eric isn't able to accurately describe what an officer is holding in his hands while passing by, furthermore, making investigators suspicious that he knows something more. But even though he's continuously making inconsistencies with his story, investigators still don't suspect Eric. Seriously? They're just like, this is kid's weird. Their thought process is that Derek saw the murder. And that he's just being convinced to not say anything? That he's being threatened not to say anything. Oh my goodness. So yeah, they're thinking that it's an adult having control over a child. After two hours, Ted Smith asked investigators to give Eric a break. They agree, and he puts red Kool-Aid in front of Eric. Immediately, Eric becomes enraged, knocking over the drink. Even with all these consistencies and triggering behavior, police still believe Eric is making up the whole thing and isn't a reliable witness. But I mean, like, again, they're going off this wild profile that isn't even correct. Yeah. So in their heads, there's no way that this is what happened. I mean, adults always never want to think that it's a child. Yeah, you want to give kids the benefit of a doubt because... How would a kid come up with that? Yeah, like you never think a child would be capable of thinking those horrific, thinking of those horrific acts. And let alone doing them, you yeah, know? You know, actually going through with it. I can, I can totally see that. But at the same time, like, everything's kind of stacking up against him. Oh, yeah. You know, so, I mean, they see it later. <laughs> I mean, I guess at least there's that. Yeah. <laughs> So the next day is little Derek Robbie's funeral, and police are still searching for the killer in the wrong place. They're talking to parolees, going through registries, and talking to as many witnesses as they can. Eric's family, however, is now starting to think about all the inconsistencies he had been saying. During this time, he stayed with family friends more often, and that night while talking at the dinner table, Ted Smith suggests when the killer is caught, he should be hung on Main Street. The whole time, Eric was just sitting there quiet. Sunday night, Carl Peters holds a family meeting to sit Eric down and question him. After half an hour of prodding, Eric finally turns to his family and says, Mom, I did it. I snapped and I done it. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry. I killed that little boy. 
His mother becomes hysterical at the news. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Demanding to know why. All Eric can say is he doesn't know and profusely is apologizing. After the understandable chaos that ensued, Carl calls uh, Sergeant Ronald Bates asking to meet with the district attorney. Carl tells Bates Eric is the killer and simply states the boy needs help. Well, it sounded like he needed help a long time ago, um, but you're only caring now. Six days after Derek's death, August 8th, Eric goes down uh, to Steuben County office building and makes a full confession. During the confession, Captain Walter DeLamp from the Bureau of Criminal Investigation has to remind Eric it wasn't something fun they were talking about due to Eric becoming more and more animated and excited. That's like just such psychopathic behavior. But then there's also like murderers and serial killers talk about just the thrill of getting caught in general. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like where you don't want to get caught, but you do want to get caught because you want to get the recognition for it and you want people to ask you about it. Yeah. So that way you can talk about it and get that secondhand adrenaline again. It's just scary to see in such a young person. Oh, yeah. (laughs) On August 9th, 1993, the day after Eric confesses, he pleads not guilty. On August 11th, 1993, Eric makes his first court appearance. I just realized that nobody's going to see your reaction because you didn't I make know. a sound. I know. Was... <laughs> She's upset, by I, the way. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I'm going to give a full confession. I'm not guilty. <laughs> but also, like, he's a child. You think the DA would have been like, okay, you give a full confession and plead guilty and we'll put you in a facility instead of juvenile, you know? Yeah, I don't know. So he ends up waiving his right to a preliminary hearing. Kevin P. Bradley and Joseph Helliet, a former ADA, represents Eric, while John Tooney uh, uh, is the lead prosecutor. So Judge Taggart is the justice on the case. He orders Eric to return to Monroe County Children's Center in Rochester without bail. Instead of trying Eric in family court, where the family thought he would be tried, um, the prosecutor, however, decided to try Eric as an adult. In New York, juvenile offenders law states minors as young as 13 can be tried as an adult when tried for murder. And that's not just, like, a little murder, either. No. It was a very gruesome murder. Yeah. Like, he thought it out. Yeah. It may not have been that he chose Derek Robbie specifically, but he had thought about the acts he was doing to that boy. It was a crime of opportunity. Yes, like, absolutely. He saw it and he took it. Yeah. Because if it wasn't Derek Robbie, it would have been someone else. Oh, yeah. For 100%. sure. 100%. Oh, yeah. For sure. And the outcome still would have been the same. Oh, yeah. It would be the same things that he had thought of. They definitely wanted to try him as an adult. On the ride back to the detention center, Eric asked the officers, so do you think I'll be home next week? Does he just not realize, like, what's going on? Apparently not. Or is he just trying really hard? His lawyers are telling him to bang it on so he can get, like, a insanity plead. I mean, it's possible, but at the same time, I this is also that sociopathic mentality. Yeah, like, I'm just going to get away with it. Yeah. 
Like, it's just like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like, I confessed to it, so I can go home now, right? Yeah, like, that's all I had to do. So in May of 1994, the defense tries to get Eric's case moved from criminal court back to family court. The defense alleges the case is an exceptional one warranting removal because psychological evidence reveals the defendant's act is the result of a lifelong mental disease, a pathological rage disorder. So the defense asks two mental health professionals to consult on this case. Dr. Peter Cormack, a psychologist for Penfield New York Clinic, and Dr. Stephen Herman, a Connecticut pediatrician and child psychiatrist. Both professionals find both social and medical reasoning behind Eric's personality and mental disorders. Dr. Kornbach talks to Eric's childhood, family life, and cognition tests. Dr. Herman talks about the medicine his mother was taking while pregnant with him uh, was a contributing factor to this pathological rage. Which is such a wild term to hear now. Pathological rage. Yeah. I mean, it can mean so much now from the 90s to here. Oh, yeah. So it's it's so funny how psychology... Well, it's not funny. It's amazing to see how psychology evolves constantly. Oh, and so quickly, too. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'm glad that we're starting to learn more and more and become more and more... Aware. Aware, <laughs> yeah, of mental health issues. Both deem Eric's psychological disorder was responsible for his actions that day. Okay. Further examination is required by law since Eric's defense is using psychiatric issues. Uh, Dr. Kathleen Quinn, a general child and forensic psychiatrist, was chosen to examine Eric. She finds he doesn't suffer from an intermittent explosive disorder, but has attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD, which aren't explanations for the yeah, murder. Yeah, ADHD does not make you a murderer. No, I Jessica, know are you a murderer? Not from explanation <laughs> from experience. That's the one. <laughs> So while all this is going on, Eric is actually bragging about the murder and the detention center, even embellishing the story each time. Oh my gosh, it's like, dude, he just wants that recognition that he did it. And for people to be like, oh, you know, that's shuck and awe. Yeah. So on June 7th, 1994, almost a year after the murder, Eric's application to be tried in family court is denied. One year to the date of the murder, Eric's case is brought in front of a jury. So this is August 2nd, 1994. Jurors included six men and six women, mainly blue-collar workers, middle-aged, with grown children. The trial opens with the images of Derek's assaulted body displayed in front for everyone. Ugh. I like that they're like, we're just gonna start real hard. And Eric's family sees the horrific acts their son committed for the first time. That has to be insane, because you're seeing it at the first time that everyone else does. And I'm sure this is also the first time, pictures and all, that Derek's family is seeing this. Yeah. I can only imagine the trauma that they're going through. Yeah, like your kid. Yeah. Which I would hope they would show the family ahead of time, be like, hey, just a heads up. I would hope so, Here are things we're going to be showing in trial. Yeah, I would hope so, too. It would really suck if that was the first time that they were seeing it. Oh, that'd be awful. Yeah. 
Um, so multiple people testified for and against Eric, including uh, Doreen Robbie, Derek Robbie's mother. Uh-huh. His lawyer tries to portray him as an innocent child whose mental disorder is responsible for the murder. After closing arguments on both sides, Bradley asked for a dismissal of the charges based on the failure of, pros- of the prosecution to prove their case. Their motion was denied. Well, yeah. Bradley then tries to ask for a mistrial due to certain evidence being admitted even over his objections because of the overly emotional testimony of Doreen Robbie, which could jeopardize impartiality. He is just doing everything he can right now. He really is. And again, the motion was denied. Yeah. On August 16th, 1994, the jury has their verdict after only 10 hours of deliberation. Wow. They find him guilty of second-degree murder. Second-degree murder. Second-degree. Eric is sentenced on November 7, 1994. Eric is sentenced to nine years to life in Steuben County Court. He is given the maximum sentence that is possible for a juvenile. So he wouldn't have been eligible for parole until 2002. In July 1997, Eric has a new lawyer due to Kevin Bradley excusing himself. Bradley stated he excused himself due to moving from the area. However, he has stated that he felt he didn't do due due diligence and didn't represent Eric as well as he could have. He strongly believed Eric needed psychiatric help, stating he's a ticking time bomb and he's going to go off sometime. The fact that so many people are saying that and that doctor is just like, nah, it's ADHD. But it's like so much. His mom even was like, mm. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's pretty obvious he needs professional help. Oh, yeah. So Eric's new lawyer was Felix Lapine from Rochester. He agreed Bradley didn't do Eric any justice and states Mr. Bradley marched Eric into the jaws of death. To judge Donald well, that was I feel like that's a little dramatic, <laughs> but okay. I feel like he tried his hardest. Yeah. But when you know your client's a child murderer, it's a little hard. You yeah. know? Yeah. So that's what he claims is that he claims Bradley marched Eric into the jaws of death to the judge who tried Eric. The initial judge agreed to look over the facts of the case and would later come back and say no negligence was presented uh, was present when Bradley was handling the case denying a retrial. Oh, good. Here comes his paroles. So he his first parole was in 2002. He was 22 years old. Uh-huh. Um, so nine years after? Yes. Okay. So Eric turned 21. He, moved, he was moved to Clinton Correctional Facility, a maximum prison, and put in a special cell block, for, cell block for inmates who have disabilities because he was savagely beaten when he first got there. Well, yeah. He's... 13 and bragging about killing a child. Yeah. They put him in his place. Yeah. You know? So, Tooney, the DA, had gotten reports leading up to the hearing about Eric's behavior in prison, indicating Eric was still considered a dangerous person. His first parole hearing was denied. The parole board described Eric as unremorseful towards his young victim and believed he there would be a high probability he commit another crime. Yeah, because, like, for parole, really all you have to do is say you're sorry. Yeah. 
Like, that's... Yeah. You just have to show some form of remorse, and, like, you'll do better. Yeah. Which, if you are 13 when you get put in jail, really shouldn't be that fucking hard. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, he, he, he was very much unremorseful about it all. Well, that's what happens when you're a psychopath. Yeah, 100%. So he wouldn't be eligible for parole again until 2004. Well, okay, so the shitty thing about all this, too, is that every time there's a parole, Derek Robbie's family has to come in. Yep. They have to give statements. Yep. And they continue to do so. Just hold on. Hold on. Get, I, We're this is there. something that bugs me. I we hate are this about parole. This. We are getting oh. through this. Okay. So here's 2004. He is now 24 years old. Okay. He begins to recount his childhood and admits to having an abusive family life and being bullied. However, he is still very adamant that he was never sexually abused. Eric states to the parole board he killed Derek because he was afraid to get caught, not because he felt bad. I <sighs> Yeah. Well, yeah, like you were saying, he kept going back to make sure that he was actually dead. Yeah. Uh, when asked if he, if had he not admitted to committing this crime, Eric agreed he probably would have killed again. I wouldn't be surprised. No. When asked about sodomizing the young boy, Eric admits he wa it wasn't for sexual gratification, but to cause internal damage, ensuring the boy would die. Oh my gosh. The fact that he admits to it, like, no, there was nothing sexual involved. I just wanted to inflict the most amount of damage possible. Yeah. Yeah, he openly admits all of that. Uh, through the whole hearing, he's described as flat and devoid of emotion. So, I'm sure Again, psychopathic yeah. tendency. Uh, he shows no remorse for what he's done and only mentions Derek by name once, referring to him only as the kid. Again, again, his parole is denied. Well, yeah, if you can't even say his name, and it's not like you don't know it. Yeah, and he remember, he's 24 at this time. Yeah. So next, 2006. He's 26. At this parole hearing, he tells par the parole board he wants to re-enter society not because he spent enough time incarcerated, but because he wants to help someone avoid the same fate he experienced. He states he has the opportunity to study forensic psychology and wants to help teenagers avoid prison. He finally admits how angry he was in 1993 that led to, the attack, um, to his attack on Derek. This time he expresses his regret on committing the crime and says he's remorseful about what happened to Derek. However, when he's asked if he would attack a person who is six foot four and 200 pounds, Eric's response is, it depends if I had something to overpower him with. Yeah, I wish you guys, I wish we had the video recording set up because my face the yeah. whole time was just like stank face <laughs> because it just has bullshit written all over it. It yeah. very much has... This is what my lawyer told me to say, so that way I can leave. Yeah. But because he's a narcissist psychopath, again, not diagnosing, but... But... If I were to look at the signs, that's what I would see, and he's gonna say anything he 
anything oh, to yeah. get what he wants. Oh, yeah. Like, the outcome he wants to get, he will bend the truth oh, as much yeah. as he needs to. Yep. So, his parole obviously is denied again. However, his new attorney, Susan, I'm not even going to attempt to say her last name because it is crazy, um, appeals the denial. Uh, the denial. Uh, the appeal is denied because the board believes Eric's release would be incompatible with the welfare of society. Yeah. I'd say murder is very incompatible with the welfare of society. Yeah, he's admitted multiple times that, yeah, I'd do this again. That's, even though now you're saying you're regretful, you can't then in the same breath go, but I'd also probably do that again. Yeah. You know, that's not how that works. Yeah. So, 2008, he is now 28. Um, again, he says he wants to work with troubled youth if he's released and explains how he would, uh, how he could be an asset to society if he was released. He was asked about his cruelty to animals and describes in detail, uh, of what he would do to cats, especially. He would drown them and run them over with ATVs. Oh my gosh. So essentially what he did to... Derek, asphyxiation, and then blood force trauma. Yeah, basically. He's then asked if he would consider what he did to Derek torture. He replies with, he does not know as he doesn't feel qualified enough to know that answer. That's a bullshit answer. Later, he's pressed again to consider both the animal killings and the murder of Derek Robbie. He's asked if he would consider both of those torture. His response... Yeah, to an extent. To what extent? What do you mean? <laughs> I wish y'all could see how frustrated Jessica's oh. getting right now. <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> However, Derek has a spotless record while incarcerated with no violent outbursts. Well, yeah, he's locked in a cell by himself. They already said that they have him away from everyone else because he had the shit beat out of him. No wonder I'd be a perfect inmate too if I was just by myself all the time. You fucking shitting me? And they make a point to this fact. I don't give a shit! He's by himself! You can't cause trouble by yourself. If Okay, here's my thing. Here's my thing. They do the same thing when they're putting up people who have violent sexual crimes. And they go, well, they were a perfect inmate. They didn't rape anyone in jail. Oh, you don't say that in that jail of men, they didn't rape any women. You don't fucking say, oh, he's in jail by himself. So he didn't kill any more people. You don't fucking say. Okay. <laughs> the parole board decided to deny his application, stating they still had concerns with his mindset of brutally killing and sexually assaulting a four-year-old boy. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Again, uh, I don't know. I just killed him. Like, what's the big deal? I only tortured him and small animals and said I would do it again, but what's the big deal? Oh my god. 2010, he is now 30 years old. He's given another opportunity. 
to make his case to the parole board, and he's stating he has morals and values which he did not have when he was 13. He says he learned how to cope with his anger and is no longer disrespectful to others. He states he's not a threat to society and is remorseful for taking a life and would like to prove himself. The board again denies his parole due to them believing he would not be able to live a life without crime and believed he would commit another crime. Well, that and he's then going to be a hindrance to society because no one's going to give him a job. No one's going to give him housing. It's so then he's going to probably commit other crimes so that way he can live, you know, and it's going to just create a cycle where he's back there anyways, probably of committing another murder. Yep. So he's now 32 in 2012. He admits for the first time to being abused, but doesn't specify the type of abuse. He states he understands why he was denied parole the last five times and believes the parole board made the right decision. He believes he wasn't emotionally ready to re-enter society, but feels as if now he's ready along with the additional work he knows he has to continue to do. However, the parole board still is not convinced, and once again, denied. 2014, he's 34. On April 11, 2014, Eric admits to the parole board that he was angry, abused by family, and bullied by classmates, and decided to take his frustration out on Derek Robbie. He states, he didn't deserve anything I did to him. No one deserves that kind of violence. What I did to him was brutal. He admits he is responsible for Derek's death and is remorseful for what he did not only to Derek, but to Derek's family as well. He states the kid who committed this horrible crime no longer exists. The parole board believes Eric is making progress while being incarcerated, but still view him as a risk to society. For a seventh time in a row, Eric is denied parole. This is stressful. Like, <laughs> and again, the family having to go through this every two years. Yeah. And hear the same information. It continues for a little while. Oh we still God. have a few, few to go. 2016, he is 36. This time, there's no transcript or evidence from this hearing, which means we don't know much about Eric's demeanor during this hearing, but for the eighth time in a row, he was denied parole. So 2018, he's now 38 years old. Due to a special program Eric was in during incarceration, he believes he found remorse for what he did to Derek Robbie on that day. He believes at 13, he didn't fully understand what he was doing, but now did and was truly regretful about the situation. However, Eric's application, again, was denied, although the voting on the three-member board was not unanimous. Okay, that makes sense. But I'm also like, yeah, I know this was now 20, what, like 23 years ago? That it happened 25 years ago? But at the same time... No, more than that. Dude, 94. Jeez. So it's been... 93. (laughs) He's been in jail more than he's not been in jail. Yeah. And so, like, I can understand why it'd be uneven, but it's still, like, the manner in which he committed the murder. Yeah. Is... That's always there. Yeah, for sure. So, there wasn't a lot of the transcripts for the 2020 to 2022 parole. Um, But 
Essentially, he was eligible for parole in 2020. However, his application was denied. Um, in October of 2021, Eric went before the parole board for the 11th time. During this review, it was revealed a woman who wrote to him asking questions about the juvenile justice system, studying to be a lawyer, became his fiance. Oh. He also stated he was working on getting his college degree and looking forward to uh, to a life working in electrical insta- installation or carpentry. Uh, he stated the kid who took Derek's life is not the man that stood in front of the parole board. I just... That's a whole phenomenon. Women falling in love with incos- incarcerated men. Yeah. I'm just like... It's a little you, weird. Well, you're studying to be a lawyer... And you're falling in love with somebody that you want to ask questions on the juvenile detention system, knowing what he did to a child. Yeah, like, what? That doesn't make any sense No! After 28 years in prison, Eric Smith was released on parole. On February 1st, 2022, at the age of 42, he was released. And I still don't feel like he's remorseful. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's a show, almost. Yeah, I can I can see that. I can definitely see that. But at the same time, I feel like that's also the reason they don't diagnose children with psychopathic tendencies. They diagnose them as antisocial personality disorders. Yeah. Because I- their frontal lobe is still developing. Like, that wasn't developed until 25 to 29 for men. You know? So it's... it. I can kind of see the science on both sides, if that makes sense. Yeah, I just don't like the thought of somebody who had those thoughts and that lack of supervision being able to commit these things. But then there's also the fact of like, I said earlier, my soapbox. Yeah. He didn't commit anything well in prison because there was no one to commit a crime against. Yeah. You know, it's easy to be a model citizen when you don't have any type of triggers around you. Yeah. You know, my mental health would be perfect if I didn't have any triggers around me all day, but that's not realistic in a real life scenario. Yeah. I don't know. I, like I said, I can see both sides of it. I truly hope that he is reformed. Yeah. Um, as of today, he is still a free man living in Queens, New York, and has had no problems, according to anything I could find. I mean, that's good at least. Well, at this point, it's just been, like, a little over a year, so. Yeah, that is true. So, I guess we'll be on the lookout if there are any updates to (laughs) Eric Smith's incarceration. That's wild. Yeah, so, um, how do you feel about that, Jess? That's a lot. Now that we're through that whole story. It's a lot. So. Well, anyways, Jen, thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> I don't. You're absolutely welcome. Should we end with my spooky fact? Yeah, let's go ahead and go into that. Alrighty, are we ready for my creepy fact? Not really, but, uh, let's do it anyways, I guess, because someone enjoys torturing me. Especially right before bed. Woo! And this is 
one about while you sleep. Oh, even better. I love this for me. Are you ready? No. While you sleep, your tongue is still helping push down saliva down your throat. So I hope you think about that while you sleep tonight. Well, I just became, like, overly aware of my tongue, so thank you for that. Great. I'm glad. <laughs> Ew. Anyways. <laughs> uh, be sure to check out our Patreon. That is live if you would like to support us in the show. Your little weirdo people. All of our fun levels on there. Be sure to check out our social medias. The links are down below. We do post on our social media about a week before what the following episode will be. So when this drops, we will also be announcing next week's episode on the social medias. So that being said, we will see you all next time. Bye. 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 Bye.